You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back to Practically Pastoring. I'm one of your hosts, Frank Gill. Um, my other brother who's uh, stuck, uh, surrounded by snow, Jeff Simpson. Hey, hey. I'm also here with my buddy down in the Carolinas, Delmar P. Hello. And, uh, and, and and our two favorite friends down in the the great state of Florida, Andrew Larson. Greetings. And Timothy Miller. Hello, world. Oh, you should so, have said and salutations. That would have been fun. Salutations. salutations. There you go. So I know we, uh, this past Sunday, just kind of superficially looking at everyone's social media, I think three of us all kind of faced some interesting issues. Jeff and I uh, were snowed in. Like we had like a big snowpocalypse that happened on, on a Saturday. I, know, I don't know when you, you made the call, Jeff, but I did copy your Instagram post because our church made the call literally Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Oh, like you copied the graphic? I copied the idea of it. Like I oh, used okay. like a snowy background yeah. and kind of used some of your words. Except I got in trouble because I used I, I I I almost copied word for word what you wrote and I sent it to my XP to see if it was okay to post. And he's like, We do not use cancel words. We do not say canceled. No. And I was like and, and then and but then he wrote back, he said he's like, I'm sorry, I'm like voice texting. That didn't mean to come off so hard. Basically he was saying, Don't use the word canceled, use the word join us online. That's good. Kind of Reframing the, the words. Well, so actually, that, cool. the graphic I shared was from like two years ago when it happened, and I just I was at a I was at my daughter's best friend's birthday party. She was turning six, which is you know the, the joy of every dad out there to go to a five year old's birthday oh, party. Sign me up, amazing. So I was there sitting on the couch, and I was like, oh man, we got to make the call. So I scrolled back in our church's Instagram took a screenshot, edited it, put it in another app, put some n- more words over it and threw it back up line online so that, uh, yeah, we made the call on Saturday around like two or three in the afternoon. So because of how small we are and like the amount of people coming in person right now, um, you know, it really, for me, I made a couple phone calls to older folks that I knew might not see an email or an Instagram. Uh, and then everybody else, I just kind of, there's a lady in our church who texts a lot and, and she's really good at keeping in touch with people via text. So I was like, hey, can you just share this and make sure everybody knows? So, yeah, we made the call later on Saturday when it was like – it's because the weather here in Maryland really changes fast. It can say three to six inches of snow the day before, and then the day of it will just be rain. But this time it was like, no, this is really going to be some snow. So we got, I think in total, maybe between six and eight inches where I live. And now it's covered in ice because it turned to rain and then it got right above freezing and then froze again overnight. So everything is like, there's like six inches of snow on the ground everywhere. And then about a quarter inch layer of ice on top of everything, which is incredibly dangerous. It was windy when Tim and I were walking back from lunch yeah. and it was so cold. Like for a minute, I wished I was wearing socks and not flip flops. I bet man. It was so cold. I thought about putting on a jacket. It was really close. It's tough. Well, Andrew, you didn't have snow, but we did not. Um, but I heard that you had some technical issues. Everybody heard because there was a big boom at about nine forty or nine fifty, and some kind of a power surge happened throughout our entire city, and it just messed with all of our gear. At least your I service could... wasn't at ten, though, right? Our service was at 10, oh, yes. Oh, dang. And so uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, really, we probably should have just restarted 
everything. And that probably would have fixed most of it. Um, but we didn't restart stuff. We left it as is. And so 40 minutes into the, well, not 40 minutes, but in the last song before the sermon, I got like eight text messages said, Hey, just so you know, you guys have been buffering completely and, uh, we can hear you, but we can't see you I'm like, ah, crap. So it's nothing better to, than those texts right before you're about to preach right when you, before when you the can sermon, do absolutely yeah. nothing about it. Yeah. The best time. And then mi- midway, not midway, about 95% through the sermon, uh, another little flicker happened that I think was user error from what we had tried to fix. Something got loose and then someone kicked it or something. And the power strip that has all of our cameras and our broadcast software or our broadcast hardware, our, our ATEM Mini plugged into it, that power strip died as a result of the surge and then people trying to fix it. Then all of our screens turned purple because mm. when we, when Dylan dove to the ground to try to fix that. A connection from the back of one of the computers got loose. So it was just this comedy of errors. He really dove? And, oh, yeah. It was like full on. Dude, that needs to come up in his uh, performance evaluation later in the year. That's a raised material. Look. Wow. He didn't, fix any, he didn't fix anything, but he tried really hard. Look, we, we didn't have any major power outages, but we had every camera operator call in sick for one reason or the oh, other. Oh, dude, I wondered. I watched your live stream, and it was like the so same angle. We and did, usually you have so, that tight angle. It's nice. So instead of doing the multi-cam shot, I did a single cam wider shot, not full stage, but at least three band members in the shot. And then I had someone from the congregation. I turned on tap to focus to make it really easy for my cameras. And I said, when I go up to preach, can you just tap my image? That way it focuses in on me. So we did a single shot uh, for the entire service for both services, which is not what we normally do. But, you know, we had to make the best of no camera operators. Dude, as long as the audio sounds good. The that, audio was coming You can through. live with that. You can live with that. Yep. Frank, how was the uh, snow blowing, man? I saw your Instagram stories. That was cool. Man work. Mine's, I have to do mine by tomorrow because you have like 24 hours after the last snow falls to clear your sidewalks. Is that a rule? Is that like, like a law to do that? Jeff? County ordinance, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, like, like neighborhood stuff. You get fined it, it, mainly because like it's, if your sidewalk isn't like pay, um, you know, clear, someone can slip and fall and they could A, they could sue you. And B, they can't get around. And then B, they can get around. And also, like, it's illegal. Like, if you have, like, I have a fire hydrant right on my property. So, like, I have to make sure the snow is kind of clear from that in case there's a fire and stuff. So, this is all new stuff I learned, like, actually recently. Like, I don't know about you guys. I have this, like, kind of, like, man anxiety when it comes to, like, mowing my lawn. Like, how often do you mow? Like, like, do you, like, like. How high do you have it before people start judging you? And I and I have that same kind of anxiety about the snow. It's like, when do people start clearing their sidewalks? Like, is it the moment the snow stops? Do they wait the twenty four hours, like Jeff mentioned? And and you know, the first snow this year, it was only like an inch, and this is my first time having to clear the snow at my current house. And I went out there and I shoveled it all and I got it all clear. And I realized no one else did it because everyone's like, it's just gonna melt, and so they didn't care. And I'm like. I don't know how to do this. Like, I'm not, like, I don't, I don't get it. But to answer your question, dude, it was the most difficult snow, snow blowing I've ever had. Was it wet snow or was it like light and fluffy? It, whatever it was, I don't know what the difference is. I don't is. know any of this yeah, stuff. I'm so lost but right it now. Was, it was so compacted nothing. that oh, like, yeah. I had to like, kind of like push it in. Like, you had a gas was, snowblower, right? 
Yeah, the yeah. teeth were not eating the snow. It was yeah. it was like my I was physically in pain at the end. Like I was hurting because it was like so much muscle. My back was aching. So uh, yeah, dude, it's no weird how the- how the same thing can elicit such different emotions in different people. Because I'm hearing you talk about snow and like I'm giddy. Like I want. Yeah. Me too, so, man. In South Carolina, like the the state will shut down if we have an inch and a half of snow. And then the bad part is all the reflectors in the middle of the road, the snow plow people come and just go right down the middle of the road and they go <laughs> ting, 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 ting. And for the next two years, we don't have reflectors on that road <laughs> because it just pops them all <laughs> off. Dude, I, I'm I'm sore from the snow too, but it's from going sledding all day yesterday. Hey, see that's what that i looked yeah. fun though dude i didn't even show the pictures or videos of we actually found a really big hill that we didn't people had told us like i've lived here for three years and people were like hey you got to go to the hill behind the high school but from the road when you drive by it looks like the hill is really steep and big and it goes straight into a fence so i'm like why are people sledding into a fence that's that can't be good that seems but then dangerous this year, yeah i was finally like you know what it can't be that bad so i went around back and there's actually like 200 yards of flat ground at the bottom of the hill before the fence. So it's like perfect. Plenty of time to stop. Oh, yeah. You go down. It's probably like the hill is probably a good three stories high in total. And it's got a nice steep angle. And you go down into a big flat athletic field. So it's like there was tons of kids out there. I met talk about gospel opportunity. Like I met like four neighbors and got to talk to them about the church. And like, you know, my go to question is like, hey, what do you think a church could do to be an asset to the community, the neighborhood? And that really is a great way to start conversations with people like now you're talking about church, but you're not doing it in a way that's like, hey, how can you support us? It's like the opposite. So, yeah, but I'm not looking forward to when I have to go back out. I'm going to go back out sledding today. Maybe I'll post some videos, but uh, I am not looking forward to the shoveling process because I also have to shovel all the sidewalks in front of the church. So, um, Mm. I mean, I don't have to, but I'm going to. Like, I, I have a lawn guy at my house. If I lived somewhere in the godforsaken parts of the country where you guys live, does like your does your lawn guy become your snowblower guy? Some guys, I was yeah. wondering that same yeah. thing. Yeah. A lot of construction guys and or lawn guys will do snow removal in the wintertime. Because you can't do construction all year round. Why do you live there? Because it's you know nice. What's funny? What's funny? I don't know if it's like this in, in, in Maryland where Jeff is, but like um, in Wisconsin – uh, I don't know the proper name, but you know those really, really big trucks that those like construction trucks that have like basically a big like sled in the front. That's sled, but like um, it's a snowplow. Yeah, but it's I mean that's not what it's for in construction. Like it's for like oh you mean a bulldozer? Yeah, like a, yeah, bulldozer. That's what that's what I'm looking for. A bulldozer. He needs it's to watch funny. some more Blippy, man. It's funny. <laughs> um, it's funny because bulldozers double as snowplows yeah. in, in, up here. So in like, Milwaukee, those, yeah, not here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, what, what's crazy is the snow plows that the city have are pushing so much snow towards the median that it gets like ten feet high, yeah. and then the city has to come back with a bulldozer to get that snow off the median. Otherwise, you can't see the and other they side go, of the do road. they go dump it in the lake? I don't know where they dump it. A lot it, of times, but, cities uh, that are on water, they dump it. Like Boston dumps it in the in the in the ocean, you know. Yeah, what's crazy is grocery stores. I should take a picture of this so you can see this, guys, because it's something you'll never see anywhere else in the country. The grocery stores, like there's whole spots of parking spots that are covered in like 15 feet, 15 feet walls of snow. It looks like what flat earthers believe the edge of the earth is. It's just a giant, <laughs> it's just a giant wall of snow. You that found you can't, it. You can't find. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a pick and save. That's where the it's where the walls are 
of snuff. Let's take a quick break hear from our sponsors. Hey, but we need and to have then, the we need to have the mowing the grass conversation again in the summer because we can't have I you just up, we can't have you just waiting until it looks bad enough to make you mow it. No, you gotta I know flip, there's, gotta, yeah, there's like a mid, there's like a mid thirties dad switch that flips at some point where you're like, I need to make my lawn the best in the block. I. I I, we, we I have that, that switch, I and have... I've hired someone to do that for me. That's Same. fine, <laughs> but you just have the switch, is all I'm saying. Yes. Let's have that conversation in a couple of months, because I have done some stuff. I actually have a really super bougie mo- uh, lawnmower that someone gave me nice. that we can talk about one day. But, hey, let's take a break. We want to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we got three really interesting clergy cliff notes that we want to talk about. Uh, so we'll come. we'll be right back after this brief break. Welcome back. We're gonna we have some good clergy cliff notes uh, today. Um, and we're gonna begin with this first article that I, I think has been a topic that we kind of been talking about for the past couple of weeks. It comes from the Gospel Coalition, and and the question that the, the conversation the title of this article is "Expect Less and More of Your Pastor in Addressing Current Events." And so basically, it's you know I think we're all kind of facing this and feeling this that our people either want us to say more about what's happening either in politics or in current events or the opposite. They want us to stop talking so much about it. If just as people say, just focus on the gospel. Right. And so this gospel coalition article kind of gives, I think it's written towards like the parishioner saying, Hey, you know, it's one of those articles that we often see on gospel coalitions. Like your pastor wants you to know this type of stuff. And, uh, and here's the five things that it says, your pastor has specific and limited authority your pastor has specific and a limited message. Your pastor has a specific and limited purpose. And your pastor has a specific and limited uh, flock. And your pastor has a specific and limited capacity. Ultimately, the kind of the 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 aim, the aim of this article is to say, like, you know, we are our, our biggest responsibility is to be uh, proclaimers of the gospel, proclaimers of what Scripture says, and so. Um, if we do or do not talk about certain current events, um, ultimately show us grace and and kind of remember that the purpose of that service, the hour, hour and a half you have on a Sunday morning is not necessarily to reflect on all the things that are happening in the culture, but to contextualize the scripture in such a way that you leave a little bit closer to the Lord and more in the image of Christ. There's a, there's a specific kind of couple sentences I, I highlighted here that I want to read. I'm watching Tim, who is currently sharing this article with the quote that you're about to read i'm literally doing that as you're reading <laughs> on his church on his church's facebook page it's so good. oh well let me read the quote for you guys here's the quote um it's a, a, under section three you, your pastor has a specific and limited purpose it says this he is not responsible for ensuring that all of his people have the right opinion on every disputed issue of the day as a christian you should absolutely care about such issues and discuss them with your brothers and sisters, but your pastor isn't called to referee every conversation. And that is a good thing for both him and you. So, uh, I mean, as a pastor, this is a really encouraging article. I don't know if it's going to do much for our people who are dead set and wanting us to talk about politics or current events, but I would be interested in hearing from you. Um, you know, how important it is for us as pastors to share our opinions about politics and current events. You know, we've, we've talked about this before. Some want us to be 
Some are saying that we're too silent. Some say that we're not talking enough. And I think one caveat that I would love us to consider that I, when, I, when, when I've been reading the books like Color of Compromise and other stuff like that, one thing that we notice is that in the black church, they aren't silent about current events and, and like political issues. And oftentimes churches is a hub for civil rights and activism in their communities because they're 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 contextualizing their their issues of that day so deeply into what their messages in the Bible are. So, obviously, none of us here are a, are a part of a specifically a traditional Black church. But with that kind of nuance to our conversation, what are your thoughts about this article, and and how should we be thinking about this when it comes to our people? I agree. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I, I am for this article. Oh, Andrew. <laughs> what's that? What's that concern? Uh, what's that? You know, in that scene in Catch Me If You Can, yeah, where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is asking all of the doctors if they concur. I yeah, concur, I concur. doctor. Do you, do you concur? I concur. I concur. I concur. Those are my thoughts. Yes. I think you need to, when I read this article, the thing that pops into my mind is as pastors, we just need to make sure that we're examining our actions with our motives. Like, because how many times. We want to say the political thing, but what's the motivation from that? You know, um, I had somebody say, well, you need to say this from the pulpit about this political thing. And I'm like, well, that's not in the passage of scripture we're, co- we're, we're from this week. So I can't force that in there. And uh, how many times have I been sent a message in the last year? They're like, you need to hear what this pastor says about this political thing. And like, he's reading about the Lord's prayer. I'm like, how does he make that leap unless he just goes into the text with that motive? You know, so for me, um, I think when it comes to the political spectrum, we really just need to say, is the scripture we're in today, is it presenting this as a place for us to plant that fertile seed? Or are we being compelled to go there because our own agendas and motives? Um, Because the fact of the matter is, unless you're in a highly polarized church, once you start going in there, you're going to you may light more fires than you put out. You know, um, because you're going to have people sitting on the blue side and the red side in your congregation. I've got a, a buddy who, um, when our the the PCUSA church that I worked at was in the process of leaving the PCUSA, and it was ugly and it was messy. And the the guy who I was working with really closely, yeah, you know, I was kind of griping, saying, "You know, this is like like this is so necessary that we're leaving," but I just hate that the public discussion is going to be, oh, this church is leaving because of gay marriage. And, oh, you know, that we're going to, people are going to call us bigots and all this stuff. And he kind of sat and thought about it for a minute. He said, you know, we don't get to choose the issues of our day. It would be great if we got to choose the issues of our day, or if we got to cherry pick the issues of somebody else's day. And we could go back to, you know, hey, we are going to talk about what is right and what is wrong and we're going to fight for this stuff but we don't we don't get to choose what issues our people are confronting every single day and so the only pushback that I would have with this article is that this is what our people are thinking about and we can wish and hope that they would see us one way or that they would see the issues one way but we don't get to choose whatever the hot news story is or whatever the political take that the you know alt left or the alt right communities take on all we get to do is proclaim truth. I think one of the com- one of the ways to think about this conversation is, you know, I, and I've said this to a couple of folks in my church uh, who happened to be on the um, hiring committee when I was brought on as pastor. 
And I just reminded them, you know, when you hired me, we had no conversations about wanting me to speak into political issues at that point. So why now would there be an expectation that that would be the case? When you hired me, you laid out very clear expectations that you wanted me to preach the scriptures, you wanted me to, you know, shepherd you. And so I'm going to continue to do what you asked me to do and you brought me here, not shift. Uh, because frankly, I think a lot of people, they want you, they want to use you as a, as the pastor to be their mouthpiece. They want you to say the things that they're not willing to say so that they can share that little clip of you preaching, saying something so hard. And so, oh, oh, he said that. And and there's a high cultural value right now um, for kind of owning the other side and saying something snarky. And I, I just, I can't see that in the scriptures. I can't see where that's a value. I can't see um, where saying something for the sake of uh, showing another person how dumb they are is a value. It's just not. It's not in the fruit of the spirit. It's not in the Proverbs anywhere that I can find, uh, but it's a high value right now. And I think a lot of our folks, um, maybe they won't say this out loud, but deep down inside, they kind of want to use us to do that. And you Jeff, just need to resist that, that. No, that's excellent. Pastors are not hired to create an echo chamber. You know, that's not why we're hired. We're not hired to say the things that political people on each side want to hear. You know, the only echo chamber that we're supposed to be creating is that of, you know, Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected for our sin, you know, and how that changes our life. Like, but how many churches you share any clip that are, that are like hot clips? And if you were to just look at that clip removed from the context of the sermon, it's just feeding the echo chamber. Yeah, that's that's good, Jeff. Well, and I think, too, like your role is you, you pastors like our job is not to be some mouthpiece for our church into the community. Like our job is to be a mouthpiece to our church from what the Lord is, you know, revealing in scripture. Now, will we be a representation to our community by kind of proxy? Yes, we will. But I, I'm just kind of weary of all the like, oh, we need to come out with a statement about this and about this and about this and about this. You don't need to come out with a statement if you're a church. Like you, you have preaching every week that should be your statement. Uh, about what is important and what isn't. Now, I think pastors are free to speak on these things in terms of applying them when it comes up in the scriptures. But like you said, Dell, don't force the issue. Um, and and I think you just have to not fall prey to, um, you know, this is people pleasing. This is people pleasing, wanting people to like you. So you'll say what they kind of want you to say and sort of cloak it in these Bible preachy language. So it sounds like, ooh, my pastor's really, he's really prophetic. Maybe not. He's just probably saying things you like him to say from your political view, and you're going to share that. The thing that's frustrating is that when churches do decide to speak up on one issue or the other, it's almost always exclusively that that church or, or that organization or that denomination or whatever it is, they decide we are only going to speak up to issues that affect the left side or the right side. Very, very, very rarely is it both. And so I, I've had frustration um, where it's – I'm trying to keep myself from getting in trouble with my denomination here. But, you know, where it's like um, I appreciate everything that's posted that would be considered to be a progressive or left-leaning ideology that Christians should be thinking that way and should be supporting that way. But they're completely silent on issues about – 
you know, pro pro life issues or sanctity of marriage issues that you would expect them right. to take just as hard and as firm of a, of a view. Yeah, that's good. Which is why I think churches delving into politics quickly turns into something messy. No matter. Yeah, well, what. And I think because there's no halfway about it. Like you either no. got to go all the way in and critique right. both sides prophetically, which mm-hmm. requires you as a pastor and as a church to maintain um, what I kind of like to call prophetic distance. Meaning you can't prophetically speak into something that you're also participating in. This was Jesus' problem with the Pharisees, your whitewashed tombs. Um, So this is what gave John the Baptist such power. He's not participating in the things he's critiquing. And as a church and as a pastor, like either you go all the way there or your other option is to be silent. Because if you try to go in the middle, you're going to be a hypocrite. Uh, Let's move on to another kind of, um, you know, thing that's happening in our current events there is this big situation where a bunch of redditors kind of stuck it to a bunch of really really rich hedge fund people and was able to use gamestop to make a lot of money for themselves and to cost billions to hedge funds um that's not really what we all want to talk about i want to talk about this clip that's been kind of going on the internet from msnbc where a youth pastor uh, went on there to answer some questions uh, about what happened, and he uses scripture to kind of defend why he did it. Do you have plans? Did you ever expect it to be sort of what it is now? And did you get in in order to, you talk about sort of thinking that maybe the company could rise. Was part of it that you wanted to sort of stick it to the Wall Streeters, as we've heard from some others in your position? Yeah, I mean, I think there was a confidence that this was a, a real thesis, that this would go up. But I also, I, I'd be lying to say if it, there wasn't some pleasure out of the fact, you know, I, I'm a pastor and Jesus tells a story about this rich fool who has an overabundant harvest that's more than he can store. And rather than give the excess to those in need, he chooses to, to build bigger and bigger barns to store it for himself. And, and God says to him in the end, you know, this very night, your life will be demanded from you and who will get what you've prepared for yourself. And so since 2008, it feels like Wall Street has had an overabundant harvest financed by public money. And rather than share the billions with the less fortunate, they've built bigger and bigger barns for themselves. And so, yeah, I was 100 percent. There was a part of me that thought, well, it will be fun to be a part of this moment, to see this moment where at some level overnight, these investors are losing their investing lives. It's being demanded from them. Uh, and they're left wondering what what they get, what who's going to get what they had prepared for themselves. All right, guys. So you heard the clip. Uh, let me ask you this question. So uh, what did you think of that clip? And I want to follow up with another question about uh, would you go on the news? Because <laughs> that, that's a, kind of a, a terrifying fact of mine. So, hey, what did you guys think of this clip? Well, what a great clip, guys. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little – come on. I'm torn. Like, is that really a direct application of that that's... text to Wall Street hedge funds? I'm, I'm a little bit torn I... here. Yeah, I, I think the the other side of that is I concur. Yes, <laughs> re, uh, and I, I've I've followed the whole story. I think it's it's funny, and it is funny. It's you know for hedge funds. Unless you it's, lost millions, then say, it's not so it's funny. It's funny <laughs> unless unless your grandma's retirement is tied up in one of those hedge funds. Yeah, my like my that. dad lost sixteen thousand dollars. Oh, oh yeah, it's, it's do you really? You for real? Yeah, yeah. It, oh. It's funny except oh. for that. It's like, ha, 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 we're sticking it to these hedge funds. And yes, the hedge funds are getting it stuck to them. But real people with real livelihoods 
yep. are affected. But you know, it's it's the volatility of of the market. So I don't want to say it, it's like the weird balance. But yeah, like what Tim's saying, I don't think that that's the I don't think that that is what Jesus was thinking about when he said that. Call the me crazy. part of me that likes echo chambers loves that clip. Let's just go. I'll just own that part, you know, <laughs> like that yep. little portion. But at the same, uh-huh. well, and at the same time, it's like I don't think that was the homiletical idea or the exegetical idea of that text. And that's just a really good example of proof texting, if you ask me. But. But I mean, I guess at the same time, I I see how he's making the comparison. The problem is when we extrapolate, you know, parables and when we extrapolate things like that to make non-gospel related parallels because we're divorcing it from the real meta narrative of scripture. Does that make sense? I agree pretty but like at the same time, he was he was kind of he like he was he wasn't like that. He was adjacent to the to the text, you know, like, Absolutely. I mean, I mean, not hoarding thing, not hoarding riches for yourself. That's yeah, that's there. And, and like when I first, when I first got it sent to me, I was like, Oh dang, this dude. Yeah. And then I was like, ah, but maybe, <laughs> but, but that's I mean, I, the danger in text adjacent. If something is purely, you know, this is ridiculous. What is that? I talk about it's so easy to write off, but when somebody is adjacent to the text, like, like it's pretty saying, close, then that's where you can get yourself into real yeah. trouble. It's like, you know, yes, you know, if, if you're one or two degrees off on a compass, it's going to look pretty close for a while. Yeah. And then you're going to look over and be 300 miles away from where you want to be. And be so, like, I thought the Rocky Mountains were a whole lot rockier than this. Well, it, it's kind of like if we were talking about somebody who had a big obstacle in front of them, right? Some something I don't know. Let's just call it a Goliath of a thing. So you Ooh, just need wow. to go okay. and Ooh. take the stones, stones, take the things mm-hmm. God has given you, the smooth stones, and you know, go slay. And you know, I think it takes two seconds to remember that you're not David. I think someone said that, but you know, that's kind of where I place it in the camp. It's like, eh, does it preach? Yes. Should it preach? I, I think I would go cautiously on like Frank, your, your second question here, like the fact that we're having this conversation makes me think, I don't really want to go on the news. I don't either. So <laughs> I've so been broken down to. by a bunch of other pastors who don't know me. <laughs> yep. So exactly. So here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at the guy. Like I oh, actually not at all, like, yeah. no, I'm going to hit him. Only, I think it's, it's hilarious. Only, only, so, so there's, there's two things here. It's like, one, I want to make sure this is clear because I posted this on my Facebook and Twitter and on a couple of Facebook groups, and some people started challenging my own faith. They're like, this is actually terrible. Kind of, we were, I mean, like, Tim, what you said, like, your dad lost $16,000. Like, yeah, but, like, if but people, knowing the like, size like people, of my dad's account, he'll be just fine. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But so, so it's like, I want to say this is like, I I I literally don't know anything about Wall Street, and so I, I I the extent I know is I give money to my retirement, and they're doing something right. Like I don't. That's all I know. My brother in law is begging me to start doing some like Robin Hood stuff, which apparently now I don't want to do Robin Hood. Or you something. can't. They won't so, let you. They won't let me. So with that being said, it's like I, uh, I I this is not a statement on the on the actual Wall Street side, but. You, I don't know if you meant this when you said, Delmar, that you like, this is the echo chamber part you want to be in. Like when he went on there and just started quoting scripture. Like her face, like, the interviewer's I, face is my face. Like I, 
I was like, what? I was like, let's go. Like, Spirit is crazy. I mean, where my face. This is like. This is like back when John MacArthur was a little bit less controversial 15 years ago on Larry King type yes. of thing. Like, it's like, let's go. This is like, right? no, this is like when Russell uh, Moore got called a nasty guy or whatever by Trump. And he was like, I am a nasty guy. That's why I need <laughs> Jesus. And I'm, oh, snap. Wow. He did that. And so, so there's a, there's a part of me that's like, dude, I love the fact that he even has the audacity to go on MSNBC. I don't know if you caught the little Easter egg. There's that. There's a really beautiful painting in the background of his picture of the prodigal son. Like, this guy loves Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, if anything, he saw this as a respo- as an opportunity to kind of give Jesus a little shot on national news. And I'm not mad at that, right? Like, I, I, that's, no, that's, that's where I'm all. coming from. So, so then I guess this leads to this next question. So we just talked about John MacArthur. We talked about um, Russell Moore. I think, you know, Rick Warren has done it. Um, There's a bunch of different pastors who've gone on these like MSNBC, CNN things to do these interviews. Typically, they're usually about faith issues, right? This is kind of complete. I I don't think MSNBC knew this guy was a pastor. They just saw Redditor. And then I was like, get him on the show. Got him. Which, by the way, if you look at him, he is the... He's like when you look at the word youth pastor in the dictionary, this is him. His haircut, his his five o'clock shadow, his flannel his plaid shirt. I mean, this guy is a youth pastor through and I through. I would bet Nothing his but- youth group has a one word name. <laughs> wow. Or actually he's in California, so it's probably like church name student ministry. It's probably yeah. But anyways, um my question to you is this is like, even if it's a local news story, would you go on the news? if asked to talk about a specific topic from a pastor's perspective, what would you do? I'd be more prone to go on the local news. I'll say that. But I also, from experience now, after having been here, uh, our church had an, uh, like an armed robbery happen, not on a church day, but on a different day. And like the news came to ask me about it. And I was like, you know, Mr. Inexperienced senior pastor gullible, like, yeah, I'll go on the news. And what I learned is like, you need to know that the, the job of the news is to get people to watch the news. So whatever you say, they are going to do their best to sensationalize it and not necessarily like tell, uh, you know, not the truth, but they're going to sensationalize whatever you say. So just know that going in. And I would say I'd be more prone to go on local news than anything else, because honestly, local news is going to have more of gospel impact in my neighborhood than MSNBC would. Okay, you just nailed it. I think it has to do with gospel impact. You know, if I get an opportunity to go on the news, I think that I would say yes. And I would say, okay, how can this be a gospel impact? You know, I mean, I'll go ahead and fairly say that that youth pastor, he was prepared. I don't think anyone's going to question that. You know, like he, he was he went straight to scripture. I think the only thing that uh, that I would have really done different is like, OK, great story. But connect that to me, to Jesus, connect uh, to me, to the need for redemption, because if if my church is going to get a message, uh, I think we were talking earlier about the church is not be a mouthpiece from um to the community from the church is supposed to be to the church from the Lord, you know? So like, if I am going to say something, it needs to be speaking toward redemption and restoration. That's my message to the world. So that's really, yes, I want to go on the radio and my, I think one of the, when we hear these pastor clips that are fire, like the MacArthur clips and those, the reason they're fire is because when we get done, we're like, man, I feel super edified right now. He just like lifted up the centerpiece of what I live for and showed it to the whole world. 
And that's what I really want to do. But I think it requires some of the same work this young man did. And we need to think about it before you're rolling live. Do you remember the time that somebody called Dunder Mifflin and asked if someone would go on the radio and Dwight volunteered? Yeah. And all of the uh, nonsense that happened after that. I feel like that can't happen if you don't go on. And that's not to say that I wouldn't go on the news, but you can't make a fool of yourself on the news if you don't go on the news. Call me crazy. But if you're going to go on the news, you need to be prepared. And if you're going to make even a little bit of a fool of yourself, they're going to if you make a fool of yourself, they're going to show that full interview. If you, you know, if you come across as very intelligent and succinct, you'll get 35 seconds. But if your pants come off, <laughs> you're going to get, you know, two or three minutes. You're also probably going to get raked over the coals by every ministry podcast, no matter what yeah. you do. So. Well, and know your personality. Like if, you know, not every pastor is comfortable on their feet. Like not all of us are like witty on our feet. So like if that's you, you can be prepared as you want. They're going to ask you a weird question or something and throw a curveball at you. So, I mean... I, I think the biggest thing is just I was thinking of a sermon a couple of weeks ago, uh, Colossians four, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you might know how you ought to answer each person. So, I mean, if you keep that in mind, do your best. God still loves you no matter what. I want to get on the news when I don't expect it because my church is doing something so cool that they like, hey, tell us about this that we didn't advertise I get on the like, news when they say that. The Powerball is a billion dollars, and a pastor found a ticket in the gutter and picked it up, and it was the winning. That's how I want to No, go come on. Man. In the mouth of a friend. fish, you caught. In the mouth of a fish, in you caught. In the mouth of a fish. Come on. All right. And let's do a hard transition, because this next clergy cliff note has exactly to do with hard transitions, and I'm really excited for us to hear this. So uh, this is a final clergy cliff note. I, 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 when I saw this clip, I was like, I got to bring this up to the boys. Let's listen to this quick clip. So these guys move very slowly in the trees, but um, believe it or not, these guys um, can actually swim very well. So that's one of their, that's, uh, that's one of the structures they use to protect themselves in the wild. So if a jaguar is chasing them and they happen to be over um, a river or lake or something like that, they will actually just fall out of the tree oh. into the water. Um, and they oh, can neat. swim really fast and they can actually hold their breath for up to 22 minutes. So once wow. again, that slow metabolism can yeah. kind of come in handy when you're trying to get away from a jaguar. Minutes. Wow. Yes. Well, that, that's awesome. We were talking beforehand. Yes, the sloth, this one is fast for a sloth, but he's still slow. Why? Because sloths, by definition, are slow. That's how they are made to operate. And uh, it shouldn't surprise us that they move slowly. And in today's lessons, we see something that should not surprise us as well, and that is Christians are persecuted. Sloths move slow. Well, Christians are persecuted. That kind of happens because of who we are. Jesus even warned the disciples that, you know what? Just as I've been persecuted, you will be persecuted as well. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> when you don't what? have an opener, so you just wrote, you riff it. <laughs> what? I, 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 feel, I feel compelled to say this is, I'm assuming the answers in Genesis, like elementary 100%. age. Yeah, Sunday, oh, Sunday school is, curriculum. I didn't see when we, when you had it. I saw you posted the clip somewhere, and I thought that I was like, I didn't realize that it was like a Sunday school curriculum. But knowing that this is like a kid's Sunday school curriculum, it Hold makes up, Andrew, less speaking sense, but a little of bit more. Kids, they are knitted together in the womb, and abortion <laughs> uh -huh. is evil. 
There you go. <laughs> like, I thought because his name was Eutychus, they were going to Acts chapter 20. I thought he was going to be a teenager. He was going to fall from the third story. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. For the, the guy no, that, that's not where When they switched to the Bible story, that guy wasn't really listening to anything she was saying about the sloth. Like, he was, <laughs> he was awkwardly laughing at wrong times and then just like, hey, cool. Here's what I'm here to talk about. Frank, how what? did you find this? Like, how, how did you? Oh, it was. It was going viral on Twitter. Now, oh, here's okay. the thing. On Twitter, like, it's just 100% roast session. I didn't realize this was an answer in Genesis Well, and an, until... an atheist shared it. Yes. There's a there's – a, there's a, uh, I forgot what the main site is, but um, uh, the Friendly Atheist is the, is, the, uh, is the blog account. And they shared it, and I was like, oh, no. This is, like, worse than I thought it was. And it ended up being like an Answers in Genesis children's curriculum. I just thought this was like a random YouTuber that was like an apologetics guy or whatever. So this kind of frames things a little bit better for us to understand. Like, I would bet that this is probably like a zoo that the Answers in Genesis people actually own, probably up in Kentucky. Yeah, I think it's you know on the grounds you can, you can, of, the, of the ark. You can see the ark in the back. No, it's, yeah. it's right outside the it's ark. Right outside encounter. the ark. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah yeah so I think it's like it's it's which I thought the, the animals uh, were supposed to be in the ark but you know <laughs> hold on I think I cool. if he, I made a T-shirt you, that Eutychus said, is on the way it takes him a long time you know what you're right he's but he's fast, fast. For sloth, but he's hold still on. a sloth if I, if I which made is a Christians are still persecuted, persecuted. <laughs> if Thank I made you. a T-shirt that said sloths are slow Christians are persecuted you think people would wear that because I would so it. rock that. <laughs> That's it's very niche. Insight, insight, insight very joke. niche. That's just a niche. I would wear it to the Ark I, Encounter if I ever go. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Jeff, that is good. But would you go to the Ark Encounter? Probably not. That's okay. <laughs> I want to go. I would want to go. Loki, Listen, I, 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 would I went go. to the Bible Museum go. and thought okay. it was going to be cheesy and dumb. It's it's pretty. There's cool stuff. I'm sure there's I cool stuff the at the Ark Encounter. Encounter is on the way to the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, right? So Probably. I just gave like a ton of our reformed brethren a reason to go to the ark. It yeah. might be cooler if you do that in reverse order, though. <laughs> <laughs> All I know is this is there's probably a day where we should probably have a conversation on like children's ministry as a whole and then maybe ministry curriculum. Because I think like um, Well, Frank, remember what I said to I you is like this sounds exactly like VBS curriculum. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> For sure. You're on a safari. Here's inappropriate cultural appropriations of white yes. kids dressing up as Africans. And now here's the gospel, right? That's like every VBS ever, right? This is why I love like the animal things. You, you forgot about the Chris Tomlin song with no bass line. Oh, gosh. <laughs> or, what, what's that? Um, It's the song of the rhythm. The, uh, it's like audio adrenaline the or something. glory, glory. glory. That's, the That's the one. That's the Africa song. That's every African because <laughs> Africa is not it's a the, continent; it's a country. The, the, that is the continent's national anthem. <laughs> the continent anthem. The continental anthem. Okay, guys. So, okay, okay. Let's uh, let me say this. Let here. me say this. I did watch the entire clip. Okay, in context. <laughs> And the lesson is not that bad. He actually doesn't he doesn't do the thing. I thought he was going to do the thing where like, you know, American Christians are so persecuted, which is not true. He doesn't really do that. It was pretty age appropriate for a kid's lesson on Christians, you know, being persecuted that if you preach the gospel, you should expect persecution. Jesus taught us this. That part of it was fine. Like I want to I want to be charitable. Like that part of it was fine. It was why did you need to go from the sloth 
to that. Yeah. That didn't make yeah. sense. Why couldn't you just said like, hey, cool. Thank you for telling us about the sloth. Now, I want to do the Bible lesson today. Just transition it. Maybe it was American I, I, Christians are kind of like sloths. <laughs> that would have that would have worked. That would have made a little bit more sense. So but, I, I I think like I like yeah I I do I would I do appreciate the fact that you know persecution in general is something that we as Christians probably don't talk about enough, right? Like the persecution that brothers and sisters overseas. I, I think we as Americans, if we can have a more of a global perspective then I think the conversation of persecution should probably come up more often as like a gospel issue where like, whether it's in, it's in China or in some Middle Eastern countries or in parts of Africa that like believers are literally getting killed every single day. This is a real conversation. I think what was a little bit triggering at first was like the fact that like this comes from answers in Genesis and it was about persecution and like they're kind of kind of neatly tied to that kind of Christian nationalism. Like we as Christians are being persecuted. And so I think that's why it kind of went viral on Twitter is because people are just assuming that it was besides it being a, just the worst segue into a conversation of uh, of persecution that it probably had to do with American Christianity being persecuted. But I mean, it's a funny clip. It's, I mean, I, the like, the it's thing funny. that triggers me is like it really <laughs> does when we talk in specifically this clip, it really minimalizes what persecution really is. You know, it minimizes that's kind of what frustrates about it. Like when Americans complain about being persecuted, what you're actually doing is is minimizing real legitimate persecution and trying to put yourself in the category as if you that's what you're dealing with. And the reality is you're not. I mean, you're just not. So, I mean, are you going to be looked down upon because of what you believe? I mean, maybe I wouldn't put that in the same category as persecution, though. I just got why the sloth's name was Eutychus because he was always sleeping. I, that's what I, I said. I, I got. I just thought because they were talking about him falling and like into a river. Yes, but no, he was sleeping because his name is Eutychus. Yes, the the sleepy teenager. I get it now. Yes, guys, this is this is funny. I, all these clips are going to be in the um, in the show notes. I, I would encourage you to watch some of these videos. They, at, at minimum, they'll be a good laugh. Um, but hey, I appreciate this discussion. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back. We're going to go into our main discussion um, from a listener. So we'll answer answer their question in one second. Be right back. Hey, here at Practically Pastoring, we are actually doing a book club of the month. And this month, we are reading the book, The Gospel Driven Church. And if you want to be painfully, wonderfully hurt by any kind of book that is going to challenge the current Christian culture and show you what's behind the next space of Christianity, this book is going to pull you into that. And the best part is we're going to be doing a live stream book club at the end of this month. So I want to encourage you now, go ahead, hit this up on Amazon Prime or wherever you get your audio books, get it in your repertoire, and let's have a conversation about this book all right well we're, we're back and we are going to go into our main discussion where we have a call from our buddy mark one of our listeners hey mark who is current who, shout who, out hey, mark. mark he's current he, it's mark m-a-r-c that's, that's a good important. kind of mark no many of I, my, one of my best friends it's in a, high school was named that so maybe it's him um so he has a question for us. We're going to take a quick listen to it, and then uh, and we're going to answer his question. So here is Mark's question. Hey, guys. Love the show. I have a 
question in regards to future pastoring. So I've been a youth pastor for now eight years. Currently at my church I'm at now, I've been about a year and a half, and I've really sensed God leading me into the pastoral role in the future. And my wife has as well seen that and and confirmed that. And so my question would be, what are some practical steps to prepare myself right now, having been in ministry for a while, to be able to take that next step. I'm not actively looking right now, but want to be open to where and when God would lead, but just would love some input and advice on that. Thanks. All right. So he's a youth pastor, like many of us were. Um, he, he feels that sense of calling to become whatever the next step, the next phase of his life is going to be associate pastor, senior pastor, campus pastor. Um, you know, what should he be doing now to prepare for that? So I think a lot of us have been through that. I want to make one caveat as I was, I've been thinking about this question ever since I heard it. And I want to make sure that we don't become the thing I hate. I really dislike podcasts that position themselves as experts as if they have like the only solutions because I feel like when – and, and like I, I feel like when podcasts do that, it's only for like marketing reasons. It's like so you can buy my book, you know, keep giving me ad revenue because I'm the only source of wisdom that you can gain from this. I'm, a, I'm an expert on this topic. And I think one thing that I want to make sure that practically pastoring always stays is that we are just five pastors figuring it out as we go. And it may work in my context. But it doesn't mean it's gonna. It doesn't mean it's always gonna work in every other context. You know what I'm saying so. We, we, we're whatever suggestions and stuff we give. It, it, it's suggestions that we're giving from our perspective that we think is wise that worked for us. But everything is nuanced and everything is is contextual to where you're at and and what 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 you're what you're doing. So, anyways, I want to make sure that's, that's that's heard because as I hear this question, I don't want anyone to think like, well. You know, Andrew knows exactly what the right answer is, and everyone should follow the template. Of yeah, Andrew. I was going to say, now Now I, I can't share now that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think I think everyone here has some really wise thoughts about this. And so, uh, so Mark and everyone else who's listening to this, you know, eat the meat, th- spit out the bones, take whatever works for you, and I think uh, you'll be in a good spot. So what do you guys have for Mark? Mark, run away, buddy. Run <laughs> as fast as you can in the other direction. <laughs> Uh, no, I actually love what you said at the end there where you're just open to how the Holy Spirit's going to lead and guide because I would I would recommend you not rush through this or rush into anything. Yeah, right a year away. and a half is not very long. It, it's really not. I mean, I get it. Sometimes you'll deliver that home run sermon and 13 people will come up to you and say, when are you going to be a real pastor? And then it's like, oh, maybe I need to be a real senior pastor someday. Or like me, your lead pastor will resign and you are thrust into that position unexpectedly before you finish seminary and you just have to roll with it. So I do like the idea of, man, take this slow. Don't don't run too fast with this. These guys that are also on the show are going to have way better advice than mine, which is slow down. And if you can run in the opposite direction. Tim, I just want to dovetail off of something you said because, I, and it's along the same lines as the real pastor thing. I think that real pastor thing cuts both ways because, uh, you know, a lot of youth pastors, myself included, uh, will get, you know, we have a defensive reaction to that. Like, I am a real pastor. But at the same time, I think deep down inside, there can be this lurking little root of bitterness where we actually agree with the reality the idea that we are not yet a real pastor and i feel and what he said in the beginning was you know mark i I just want to push on this a little bit you said i feel the lord calling me into pastoral ministry you're in pastoral ministry now he already that already is 
that door is already, you've passed through that door. You're in pastoral ministry now. If your church has affirmed you as a pastor, you are already in pastoral ministry. So don't uh, have this thing in your mind where, you know, when I become a real pastor or if I was in charge, because like Tim said, it's real easy right now for people to come up and say, hey, you know what? I love your preaching and it's, I love all the things you do. And if you were a real pastor or you were the senior pastor, that's all true until you're the guy doing the church discipline. And then things change, or you're the guy that didn't speak up enough or did speak up too much about politics, or you're the guy that does something different with the budget or pushes things in a different direction. Then all of your great preaching is great, but it's not the only thing they have to measure you by. I always say, do you want to be a preacher or do you want to be a pastor? Because Mm. so often we think they're the same and they're so, so different. And when churches hire a pastor, they hire them based on that 30 minutes a week with the microphone. And then they fi- and they fire them not so, so much for the 30 minutes a week with the microphone, but for those other 39 and a half hours during a work week. Um, my go-to advice is always go talk to your senior leadership now, whoever your pastor is, especially if, you know, if I'm doing some math, you've been a youth pastor for eight years. If you finished college at 22, you're probably around 30-ish, which is about the time maybe the the, the itch is you're starting. You're getting the or, itch, or, yep. Or, or whatever it may be. If you've been at your church for a year and a half, your church hired you because you were experienced, they they know how this game works. They've, they've, they've seen it before. Talk with your senior pastor and see if other people who are where you aspire to be see in you what you're hoping that they see in you. Because that's a big, big step. And if they don't, that doesn't mean that it's not there. It just means you need to be looking for affirmation and mentorship and leadership somewhere else. And then see what you can do to lessen the load on your senior pastor. And that's yeah. not, hey, let me take 10 weeks of your preaching calendar. Hmm. But hey, do you know what? Um, let me take over some hospital visitation. Hmm. Let me take over some, you know, sitting in on meetings that you don't want to sit into, but you're an ad hoc member of that committee, find some things that you can do to relieve the pressure that your current senior leadership has and start dipping in that way. We're really good at figuring out if we're ready to preach every week. And I think that youth pastors make really good senior pastors because beyond the senior pastor, nobody talks in front of an audience more than a youth pastor in a church. But all of the other stuff that we don't really think about until you're in that seat takes a lot of learning and adjusting. So talk to your senior pastor, see if if your pastor affirms where you're sensing, and then know know where you want to be, know what denomination you're in, or you know different denominations are going to have different rules. Do you do you need a seminary degree? Well, maybe it's time to start working on that. I don't know, you know. I I don't know you. I don't know what your resume looks like, but make sure your resume is where it needs to be when you start applying for those positions, if and when they come. I I cannot agree more with what Andrew just said in terms of like like my biggest insecurity actually leaving student ministry was not knowing or having experience of some of those things that youth ministry doesn't necessarily always afford you. So like I would ask your senior pastor and say, hey. Or whoever, like, I don't know how big your church is. I would ask someone in your church to say, hey, can I get some more hospital visits? Can I get um, the next funeral request? Can I get the next wedding request? Can I get, um, can I I go with you 
when you are doing some, you know, counseling to a wife whose husband just passed away. Like ha- those are these really awkward, like difficult pastoral moments that for many of us, we kind of fell into because we had to and figure out along the way. But if you had those opportunities to watch someone in action do it and kind of learn from them, you're you're that is you're going to be so far ahead of the game to be able to know. Hey, how do you answer when someone comes to you and says, "I just had a miscarriage. Is my baby in heaven or hell?" Like like those discussions that 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 your senior pastor have already had that you may have not had the opportunity to have. Those are huge. I would also say, I think we've all kind of said this in one way or the other. I want to validate you to to know this, that because you're in youth ministry, you have a unique set of, of, of skills and tools that aren't afforded to the average seminarian who's graduating from a school going straight into uh, a, a lead pastor role or an associate pastor role. Because you, as a, as a youth pastor, are often faced with an ever-evolving turnover of people in your student ministry and you have to um pivot and move either with the culture or the circumstances that your students are facing where i think more often than not youth pastors have more tools to prepare them for this next role than than they even know they have um um because like when I entered this role, I still had a huge bag of insecurities feeling like I don't know what I was doing. But as I was ministering to people who with, with kids, when I don't have kids, to people who've gone through divorces, to people who are um, my, my parents or even my grandparents' age, I realized that what sprung up naturally in me was some of that youth ministry skills that I already had, but now contextualized in a different way and and – and it was it was it was great. And so I'd say like like there's some natural stuff that you probably already have that you shouldn't be afraid of. But other than that, it's like I think we're all kind of saying some of the similar things. It's like find a mentor, find someone that you can um, um, kind of help coach you in. I mean, there's books. I mean, this podcast is a great example of like a resource to help people who are interested in taking uh, transitioning in there. But um, but I would say one thing that you uniquely have is that you will go into this senior pastor role or this lead pastor role with a, a, a huge holistic view of your entire congregation where sometimes it feels like as a youth pastor that your senior pastor is so focused on a specific age group or a specific age range that the the, the younger generations often miss. And because you've been a youth pastor for so long, you can kind of speak in a place of authority of like, I want to speak to the parents and the grandparents, the people who are actually tithing in this church, but I also don't want us to forget the next generation because they are going to be the future of the church. Yeah, a couple things, and I say this super respectfully and only because I have, I've had to go through this in my own life as I've transitioned from student minister to pass, like campus pastor. And like when you are pursuing whether or not you're moving, it's very clear that you have to determine whether or not you're being called to something or you're running away from something else. Because I think in sometimes in student ministry, it's easy to misidentify a run with a call. And uh, I know for me, um, there was a time before 
I, I was being called where I was tempted to run. And that was because I was in my midlife crisis in student ministry. And I think a lot of y'all have had it. Like the, it generally it happens the first time you open an app and you're like, I have no idea how Gen Z people use these apps. I feel irrelevant now. I can't do student ministry anymore. My hair's falling out. But I think it's one of these things where you really have to decide, like, what am I really being called to in ministry? And in student ministry, I have seen in my tenure that there are in large in part, there are two types of student ministers. Um, and, and what I mean is this, there are those who are called to a specific ministry. I have a, a friend, he's been in student ministry for 35 years because he is called to student ministry. He thinks his, his, his passion, his heart, everything comes from living and breathing in that culture. But I also think there's a mistaken fallacy that gets put on a lot of pastors who used to be student pastors that they just use student ministry as a stepping stone. And that's not fair. And I think that in some regards, we need to hold that back. Some people do do that. I got to be a youth pastor before I could be a real pastor. I don't think that's unilaterally fair. I think that a lot of ministers are called to a generation of people. You know, so once they start serving, um, they start serving students. And as those students grow up, God grows them, progresses them with those students. I've seen that happen over and over again. That's part of how my call shook down. I felt as my students were growing up and becoming in their 20s, I started realizing I'm, I still feel called to this, these people. And that's how I was able to start identifying that maybe, maybe I'm not perpetually called to student ministry, which is a beautiful thing if you are. But if you're not, it's, it's okay to allow yourself to come to that realization um, so that in, in regards to your call, I would leave that there in regards to your current place where you're at in life, where you're like, I'm kind of in the in-between to where I'm feeling called, but not yet there. I will say one of the most important relationships you can have aside from a mentor is the relationship you have with your senior pastor. You know, kind of what some of the guys are saying, if he'll trust you to pull some calls for him or to preach some sermons, but it's not just the relationship you have with him to his face that is important. It's the relationship that you have behind closed doors apart from him that's important. Because I know several student pastors who have been being called into pastorate ministry and other people in the congregation see it. So behind closed doors, they're like, man, you really have a passion for this. You can preach. We think that we should maybe get fire the other pastor and instill you. And they never say it that way. But it's always like, man, I just wish we could hear you more. You know, in that moment, what you put on that little kindling of fire really can massively influence the trajectory of your ministry. Because in that moment, you can either put a little gas on it and be like, well, you know, I do love preaching, or you could put a little water on it. So I think it's really important to observe your relationship behind the closed door as well. It's not just the relationship you have with him in a mentoring capacity, but it's how are you supporting him behind closed doors? And if you feel that you can't do that because you don't respect him and because he's not leading you, then I would point you back to where we started. And that is saying, are you running from something? Because sometimes we run from bad pastors into a calling we're not supposed to be in. All right. So I have some notes that I actually thought about beforehand. So I'm going to run through some of this stuff and some of it's going to be a repeat of what we've already said, Mark. And then some of it's going to be maybe just some different stuff. I would say, first of all, like the biggest thing that I learned in my, the ministry before I became the senior pastor here was do not under any circumstances, start trouble, be part of trouble, 
be adjacent to trouble that is around you becoming the senior pastor at some point or becoming a senior pastor. Um, there's just nothing godly about it. So I would say practicing submission now, the kind of submission you hope to see from people in your church to where you are not making it difficult on your senior pastor to be your senior pastor. Uh, Hebrews talks about that. You know, don't make it difficult on your leaders. That's of no benefit to you. Um, and then, of course, be faithful in your role now. Like, don't be spending all your time building your resume and reading books about being a senior pastor and then throwing your lesson together in five minutes for Wednesday night. You know, th- that's just nonsense. Don't do that. Now, I don't, I, I am kind of in a different place when it comes to how calling works. And this is just, this is just me. Um, I don't think calling works in like super specific ways necessarily that you're called to some specific ministry or even place. I think that when I read the new Testament, the way that I see calling working is through the local church that you should be already a part of, um, which you are a part of if you're, if you're a youth pastor. So in my life, every time I changed roles or started a new thing, it was preceded by a long period of time of people in my own church who were spiritually mature saying things to me like, Hey, I think you might want to think about, you know, honing this skill or man, when you teach, it seems to work well. So maybe we should have you do that more. And, and to me, that is, you know, what you see in the new Testament of the laying on of hands. That's how calling kind of works in the new Testament church. But you do also have to be aware, just what Dell said, that there are people who are going to tell you those things because they have an agenda of maybe getting this current guy out or they just don't like the way he's doing things. And so they'll use you as a pawn. So you got to watch out for that. So the most important thing before I get into some practical stuff is, you know, I was thinking Proverbs four above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows from it. You really got to guard your heart. You've got to be in good relationships. Now, two categories of things to consider when you're thinking about making this transition. First is kind of the theological pastoral category of ministry. Uh, senior pastor issues are really the same, but they're just more expansive. So you're facing the same things in student ministries you will in a senior pastor ministry. They're just more expanded. They're not siloed into specific ages anymore. So you're dealing with 80-year-olds who are passing away. You're dealing with you know, younger adults who are dealing with single stuff. Adults are adults, and they can do whatever they want, and that is something that's different than student ministry. Students in your student ministry generally have more parameters around their life, you know, like younger high school kids, middle school kids, they can't drive, but adults can, and they can do whatever they want relationally. There's really no, so you just have to be aware that the pastoral issues are the same, but they're just expanded into more life stages. So here's five topics to get real practical now, five topics I think you should study just, and this will always do any pastor good to study these, but as you think about going from student ministry into, you know, campus ministry, senior pastor ministry, here's five things. And these cover the gospel issues that you should already be pretty well aware of, but these will get you practical in them. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, membership in the local church, church leadership, meaning elders, and then study what you believe about vision and mission. If you study those five things, you're going to come across all of the theological issues that I think you need to be prepared for. That for these are five things I'm still studying in my third year, and I'm studying and reading things about what elders are, what they do, how that works, what is the Lord's Supper, what is baptism, what is membership, what does it mean to have vision and mission for a church? Study these things; it's good for you. And then here's practical stuff that like I wish I was more prepared for. Number one, like have a basic understanding of budgets. Like as a student pastor, I just had to worry about one little budget, but now it's like I'm looking at spreadsheets, and I have a small church. And I don't understand 
half of what's going on there. I have to defer to the treasurer. So just understand that. Um, You really should understand your church's constitution and bylaws. Maybe if your denomination has constitution and bylaws, read those. Like mine has a uniform constitution and bylaws, which churches can have their own, but they have to follow those. So you need to be aware of that stuff. Um, I would tell you to be aware of like Robert's rules in terms of running meetings, um, understanding how that stuff works. It's, it's a, it's a headache, you know, when do you second and how is that moved and understand the basics of that, uh, insurance stuff that you're going to have to be aware of now, assuming you're in a senior pastor role. And then like, if you're in, in a church of, you know, kind of the median size, you're going to have to be at least somewhat aware of like maintenance issues at your church. Um, you know, where's the dumpster get paid? How does the electricity get paid? All these things that like, as a student pastor, that was not part of my role. Uh, and maybe this is something that you can ask in your role now as a student pastor. Hey, is it okay if I kind of understand how the organizational side of the church works? Just cause I just want to learn. I mean, those are good things to learn. So that's what I would say, just some theological pastoral things. And then some real practical stuff to think about now that you don't really face in student ministry or I didn't. That now you like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known about this. Well, and here's something else to consider. If you are a student pastor now, um, I'm guessing you're a full-time student pastor. That means that you're on a church staff with at least two full-time employees. Statistically speaking, that's a big church, which is weird to think about, but that that's just the way that it works. If your church has more than two full-time employees, you're bigger than most of the churches in the country. And unless you're a weirdo like Tim, whose senior pastor resigned on Good Friday and next thing you know, you're preaching Easter Sunday, Mm -hmm. you are not going to move as the youth pastor from a church that looks like the one that you're in to another church that, you know, that's of a similar size and organizational structure. Chances are, if you are going from youth pastor to, uh, to senior pastor, you're going to be moving into a smaller church or, you know, at least a church that's going to be a lot different from what you're coming from. And it's it's a little bit of a culture shock. So don't just know how your church works, but know how other churches work in general. Um, maybe learn how to run a staff meeting. Yes. Because you're going to have to run a staff meeting. And board meetings. And board meetings. Oh, I do not like running Committees, meetings. understand how, like, and there's legal implications to these things, yeah. which is something you have to learn. Like, you can't just decide, oh, let's just change this budget line item. You have to like know the treasurer has to approve it. There has to be notes from a meeting in the in the you know in accordance with the bylaws. And you need to, it, it. It can't hurt you, even if you your denomination has different kinds of bylaws than one you might end up in. They're going to be pretty similar. So there's little things like in in Florida where I was. I learned this after I came up here. It's not. It's not. Yeah, I do too. It's not legally required to have a um. Uh, a person who basically is in charge of the physical plant. But here in Maryland, it is. So that was a different thing. A trustee, that's the word I was looking for. You don't have to necessarily have a trustee in Florida, but in Maryland, you have to have a trustee on the books as a legal um, you know, officer because they are responsible for the physical plant of the church. So those are the little things you need to understand that probably as a student pastor, I mean, unless you're really into that, you're probably not paying attention to. And so those are like really in the weeds. I think you need to work through all of those. So that way, once you're where you're going to be, there's some clarity. I know for me, I really, what helped me make that decision was some 50,000 feet perspective things. Um, Because if you're really struggling through a call, I think that that, that's a good word for it, struggling. 
Um, because if you're just hopping and it's it's nonchalant, man, I, I hate to say it, I really have some reserve if you could just do it and move because you're moving from, and, and I don't mean this as an ill way, it's just a part of who we are. It's an identity shift because you're, you're completely submerged in this culture of student ministry. And I know some of us in here, we're dug in in some really, really interesting places before we made the shift. So be prepared to mourn and not expect to do that. Like there, there is a, there's a level of a funeral that has to take place in your ministry because you're giving birth to something new, but something else is dying. And if you don't let that happen, it's really going to hurt because it's kind of like the people who are stuck in denial. They still, they do the same thing over and over again, or they're bargaining to try to do this new ministry the way they were doing the old ministry. Um, so what helped me get out of that? was I really spent some time with God. I knew he was calling me to be a pastor. I, like for like I know that's my calling. And finally, just as I'm praying with God, I just got the impression he's not removing my call to echo what Jeff was saying. If you're a ministry, you're a ministry. What what the real question is and the real thing you're working through is your adjective. Really that's what God is 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 tampering with right now. You know, you're a student pastor, you're a campus pastor, you're a senior pastor. And and when I realize, oh, I'm not losing all of this part of me, he's just adjusting my adjective. It helped me get into that mind shift. It helped me to mourn and it helped me to put on this new role a little bit better. I want to recommend a book real quick that will be really helpful. It's uh, it's just called Tough Topics, Sam Storms. It's 25 an- biblical answers to 25 challenging questions. This will get you real practical stuff, you know, original sin, infant salvation, angels, Satan, demons, territorial spirit, all kinds of crazy stuff. Great things to think about. You may not agree with everything in there. I think there's two volumes of that book, so there's like 50 questions, real practical stuff. So read stuff like that, uh, but not at the expense of your current ministry. Wow, that's good. All right. Well, we're going to be right back, and we're going to um, answer the question of the week. All right, I want to finish this show um, with kind of just an easy breezy question. We talked about bidets last week, Mm. and so I want to kind of still feeling good about that discussion. I'm still feeling really good about that, and I don't know. and and this question, I don't know a better answer than that than what we, we we talked about last week. What was the best Amazon purchase you made? Other than the bidet that we talked I, about. I mean, c- compared to my bidet, I just looked through my list. I don't know if I have a better purchase other than my bidet. But I purchased my bidet <laughs> so, in 2021, so it does not count for this on Amazon. Discussion. Okay, yeah, me too. Actually, yeah, you're right. So <laughs> can I, I can I talk answer, about though. can I talk about a Christmas present? You could talk. You could talk Christmas present, or you could talk about the 16-inch drop-down screen that I purchased and had installed in my 12-passenger van for my family, Ooh. which has eliminated so many family fights. It has been awesome. You have how many kids again? I have five kids. So, man, you're balling, man, balling. Yep. Bidets and yep. screens in your cars. Bidets and drop-down screens. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> well, I guess the best thing I purchased in 2020 was a minivan. If you're going to go there, <laughs> you got no, the, not an Amazon. Okay, right. No, I'm going to say this. So Frank, you added us to a, uh, that'd be cool if they did that though. I'd probably do it prime on your <laughs> car. Um, no, I, uh, for Christmas and I knew it was coming cause I put it on a wish list on Amazon. So that counts a digital meat thermometer with three thermometers 
dude, like it was a game changer, not for smoking, even just for cooking, just chicken breast. Like I can actually cook chicken breast and get it exactly the same every time. Juicy, delicious, perfect. It's amazing. So is it's it, got, it, is it wired or Bluetooth? No, it's, it's got Bluetooth, but it's got, um, you know, three prongs that can go into it and three presets you can set. So you can set three different temperatures at the same time. So like if you're doing a turkey, you can have one in the dark meat, one in the breast meat, uh, and maybe one in like, you know, a steak you're also cooking. It's pretty Yo, great. Send me that link. I will. It was like it was like thirty bucks, I think. It was it's I use it almost every meal because I cook at least two and meals. And it's a, a day. Bluetooth thermometer? It, it's a Bluetooth yeah, thermometer. It has Bluetooth as well. The app is not For great. Thirty bucks. But I mean, wow. I don't know who is walking away from their food that they're cooking. So, I mean, I just listen for the beep. My number one purchase, without a doubt, was my Sony A7 III camera. Holy cow. So, my on the side, I do wedding videography, and it took it from good to great. You're talking 120 frames a second. Holy cow, it's got white peaking. Um, it's got one of the things I love that my Canon didn't have is it has this visual spectrum. So like whatever is in focus will have red dots on it. So if you're doing pull focus, you can see visually exactly. Because uh, you know how like when you're in the field, you're looking at the back of the screen. You don't necessarily, you think that part's in focus. You know, a hundred percent. So yeah, that, that is, and it's got dual card. So you can write to both cards. Yeah. That that's zoom like thing is good. Usually, feature. It is usually field amazing. monitors have yeah. that zoom feature, but a great that's cool to have it built off. into the camera. <laughs> okay. Real quick. Cause we don't want to talk about cameras. We do. Day. Cause my, actually my, my Amazon purchase is my, 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 my Canon off of uh my Canon M50 was probably my best Amazon purchase 2020. Don't care. It's uh, your camera. We're not talking about that. I <laughs> I always like just like trying to pull up my Amazon list. Yeah. Which like 80% of the things that my family has purchased in 2020 have been from Amazon. But I'm going to go with the headphones that I'm wearing right Ooh, now. Those are nice. And they are, they're the cheapest things anyone has mentioned so far on this what list. What brand is that? Tribit? It's like, it's like an Amazon-owned brand, mm. I think. But they are wonderful noise-canceling headphones, but they are Bluetooth headphones when you want them to be Bluetooth headphones, or they're, you know, auxiliary cord, oh, you know, cool. eighth of an inch cable. So, like, Tim and I were were doing another project at a funeral um, on Saturday, and mm-hmm. he needed some headphones, and I had them. You, you could, had them. So, they're, they're Bluetooth when you want Bluetooth headphones. They're wired headphones when you want wired headphones. And I want to say they might have been like forty-five bucks. Wow! All right. Well, hey, this was a good show. I, I had a, I had a blast. All the stuff is going to be in the show notes. Join us for our book club for this month. The book has already like challenged me a ton, and I've only I'm only in chapter one still. So, um, with that being said, uh, we'll see you next week. I'm Frank Gill, Jeff Simpson, I'm Delmar Pete, Andrew James Larson, and I'm <laughs> Timothy Miller. And this is Practically Pastoring. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.